Right, hello there. Hello, darlings. Thanks for 172k, man. Um, this is not monetized. I don't do commercials. I hate commercials, actually. And I wouldn't do that to you. So, I uh, hope you learned something. Because, uh, you know, from hanging out with an Oxford tutor, an award-winning Oxford and Berkeley political scientist scholar. Anyway, an Oxford psychology tutor. Trump lawyer makes total fool of herself during a live interview. It's four days ago, so... You know, I can't get into details on, on TV, obviously, but I can say that we saw a picture that's been widely publicized, right, of a box that's flipped over. What's in that box? Newspaper articles, pictures, things that are mementos, things that he has a right to take. So if I'm someone with documents that I have a right to have as the president who left the White House, do I want people rummaging through my personal items? No. So I think you have to remember, again, like I said, there's context. His employee took that photo. Duh. Everything that context will be brought out on defense, and um, and and that's going to be our opportunity. We have not had an opportunity to give our side, and that's the image right there that I'm discussing. It's newspapers, it's pictures, it's well, mementos. Let me let me also it's, say what the indictment also says in in looking at that picture. It says they were spilled onto the storage room floor. They say uh, in the indictment includes documents related secrets uh, relative to USA Five Eyes, uh, which denoted the information in that document was leakable only to Five.
daisy paper filled to the brim like a hoarder of little cups. So basically, Donald Trump's employees are calling him a hoarder and call them the beautiful mind paper boxes that Donald Trump really, really wanted. So these are not, Alina Abba, mementos of his presidency. They are the people's papers. They are national security information. They are documents that go to the national defense of this country and have put American and American security at risk. They're not mementos, right? They're not like... You know, I got a certificate from when, you know, China visited me, or I got a ceremonial pair of chopsticks. No. Okay? These are the people's <laughs> documents. National security documents. <laughs> and ones that your client knew, based on his own statements that have been recorded, that they were top secret. And he, and he had no ability to classify them. So, says, I don't think he'll take a plea, uh, because if that be admitting guilt. Chance that he would take a plea deal, especially if there is, you know, he's he's got the state indictment in New York. Um, he is facing another potential federal indictment on January 6th charges. You've got the Georgia special grand jury. Those indictments, if there are any, could come in, in August. <laughs> to always set Okay, I said I was going to make a clip of that challenge for Elena Hababalaba to join you. Join MT. <laughs> Half hour. 
Let's see how that works out. Is there any thought of the president's mind? You please some of this away. You got to focus on the campaign, which is in itself an exhausting, very consuming process. No, I could never imagine. I know I would never advise that, especially when he's not. Stupidly. Lies to the public that the stolen national security documents that her client Trump refused to turn over 13,000 secret documents. Abba, labba, labba. that the thousands of national security documents that her client Trump stole oh shit Kept nothing but mementos. Shit. Mementos. Lied to the public and and uh, said her client Trump kept nothing but fucking mementos. Somebody filed to disbar this fucking cunt. You know, there's like stars, lots of stars. Uh, select all pastes, uh, are you? paste it plain text. Yay, Kidok. Somebody, um, I don't know, responded to something, I don't know.
uh, Templar Elena Habalaba, or whatever her name is, is is uh, failed lawyer. Is the one who got. Pay for frivolous suit uh, against Hillary. Yeah, that fucking cunt. <laughs> yeah, that that stupid cunt. Why doesn't somebody file to disbar her immediately if not sooner? Duh. Trump lawyer Elena Habalaba, whatever her name is, is the is the idiot. The idiot Trump lawyer who got ordered to pay a million dollars for a frivolous lawsuit against Hillary. Yeah, that stupid cunt. Why doesn't somebody file just bar her immediately if not sooner? Duh. Trump lawyer. <laughs> Why isn't somebody filed to just borrow a stupid cunt? MS Popak. <laughs> okay. Trump lawyer Elena Habalaba, or whatever her name is, the idiot Trump lawyer who got ordered to pay a million dollars for frivolous lawsuit against Hillary? Yeah, that's stupid cunt. Why doesn't somebody file to disbar her immediately, if not sooner? The American Bar Association. Smile. <laughs> Just trip a couple of idiots. Invite collaborator. Midas touch. Uh. Who's crying? What the hell are they doing out there? Somebody's hurt. Somebody's getting hurt. Oh, somebody's getting hurt. Solipsistic hellscape.
American Bar Association. Asked if they would uh, collaborate with me. I'm reading the rest of my message. Hey, American. Oh, are you? Just so why don't you put on some news while you're blabbing? Done anything okay. wrong. Side. And that's the image right there that I'm discussing. It's newspapers. It's pictures. It's, it's mementos. Let me, let me also say what the indictment also says in, in looking at that picture, it says they it's were spilled mementos. onto the storage room floor. They say uh, in the indictment includes documents related secrets uh, relative to USA Five Eyes. Uh, which denoted the information in that document was releasable only to Five Eyes Intelligence. Um, that consists of uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, U.S., and the U.K. They say that's in part of those documents that have you spilled okay, out. Huh? This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. Alina Haba, chief propagandist for Donald Trump, has hit the airwaves again, trying to fashion some sort of defense for her client. And she says, all you got to do is wait for context. Once you get the context... You'll understand that he's not guilty of any of the 37 counts of espionage act, obstruction of justice, civil conspiracy, destruction of doc documents, concealment of documents, and false statement against the federal government. See, it's all context. Context. I went to law school. I've been practicing law for 32 years. There's no such thing as a context. So let's kind of dive into that on this topic. First context. Let's speak of Alina Haba's vocabulary word. Is Alina Hoppe's context. Let's talk about her. Where is she coming from? Well, first of all, she's a failed lawyer for Donald Trump time and time again. Let me just say that again. She is a failed lawyer for Donald Trump time and time again. She lost the Eugene Carroll case in which he was a judge to be a sex abuser and had to pay $5 million or more for defamation and punitive damages. She sat in that court courtroom like a crash test dummy, didn't do a thing at all, didn't take a witness Oh, do the opening, do the closing, uh, do anything. She filed a couple of motions, all of which lost. She's filed a couple of motions since the trial, all of which will lose. So that Alina Haba. She's also involved in Mar-a-Lago. She never talks about that. She never likes to say, well, I really know about Mar-a-Lago because I had to testify that a grand jury against my client related to it. But she did. Why? Because Donald Trump, I know you're going to have to sit down for this one. Donald Trump was hiding documents in New York from the civil fraud case and the New York Attorney General. That trial, going to trial in October for $250 million, he was also not producing documents and hiding them from the New York Attorney General. So the lawyer was ordered by the judge and Goron to go to Mar-a-Lago and go search his documents in his desk drawer looking for documents that were responsive to the issues in New York. When did she do that? Between the a subpoena being issued by the grand jury in June of last year and the search warrant having to be executed in August. So she put herself like a fly on flypaper right into the jackpot and had to go search through documents not knowing or not caring the Department of Justice was watching her every move on video cameras. And then reported back, she did, to the New York, uh, to, to the New York judge and said, I oh, can't find any. Here, I'll, I'll sign a certificate. Says I can't find any. Did you see any top secret documents while you were looking through there? Or ones that are highly classified or national defense information that you're not qualified to see that were being purloined and secreted by 
by your client. Did you see that? Because they were in the room while you were there. Get her so notes. Alina Haba, you're going to have a lot of talking to do and a lot of explaining to do to Judge Angoron in New York as soon as the New York Attorney General will file her obvious motion for sanctions related to her search. Put that aside. So she was involved with Mar-a-Lago in the search and had to testify against her client. She's lost every case she's ever filed. And the only time she's ever been connected to Florida, where this trial is going to be against Donald Trump and Donald Trump, she lost. It got sanctioned over a million dollars by Judge Middlebrooks because she filed a frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton. Remember Hillary Clinton and the servers? That Alina Hoffa. So when you hear a lot Alina Hoffa speak, just pretend there's a scroll right underneath her that's going up the screen with all of these facts so that you understand who's talking to you. Okay, so now that you have, in her words, the context, let's talk about her defense. There is no context for this. First of all, she obviously has either not read the indictment or doesn't understand it or comprehend its meaning. Because in the indictment, it, everybody that has read it, that's not a propagandist, not biased, comes away with the following um, understanding. Donald Trump was more involved with the, with the stealing and secreting and obstructing justice than we ever thought prior to it being filed. That's just the plain that truth. You Even I was shocked. And I'm not easily shocked, having been doing this for a couple of years on legal AF as a legal analyst. analyst. I'm not sure. I was shocked. 60% of U.S. pork production comes yeah. from one company owned by China. There's a better way. I'd like to tell you about Moink. That's Moo I'd plus like Oink. Moink. Tank host Kevin O'Leary called Moink's bacon oh, the best bacon he's ever tasted. And Ring Doorbell founder Jamie Simmons went to the National Archive in his dress rehearsal of... of documents out of over 100 that he would send to the National Archive in his dress rehearsal of fraud to see what he could get away with. Let's just send these 15. Those 15 were searched and selected by Donald Trump himself in the personal quarters of Mar-a-Lago, out in front of Pine Hall they used to put, which is a, a hallway in front of his bedroom and his offices. They put boxes and he would grab them and bring them in like he was a prisoner getting his meal under, you know, under, you know slid under his, uh, under his jail cell. He'd grab a box, put him back out, grab a box, put him back out. What he did within the box, nobody knows. There's no video camera there. Did he pluck things out? That's a word that Donald Trump likes to use. Did he pluck out the documents and save it for himself and then put a little file together to take the Bedminster of top secret confidential information? We'll find out. We'll find out in the trial. But he was involved. He himself selected the 15 boxes. He himself reviewed dozens and dozens of boxes of documents before and selected which ones would be staged in the storage room as soon as he figured out from his client from his lawyer Evan Corcoran and he had a week to do it that on May 23rd Evan Corcoran told him I gotta respond to the subpoena on your behalf I gotta search your boxes Donald Trump said I don't want you searching through my boxes and can't we just tell them we don't have any and can't we just make them disappear this is Evan Corcoran's testimony against his own former client, Alina Haba. And, uh, of course, Corcoran said no, but he, Corcoran did make a little bit of either a mistake or he turned his back and let it happen behind his back, which is he told Donald Trump he'll be back in a week to do the search. That gave Donald Trump and Walt Nauta and others a week 
to go rig and stage the storage room so that there would only be self-selected boxes. Who self-selected them? Donald Trump. It's in the indictment based on video surveillance, based on text messages between people that work for Donald Trump, between the testimony of Walt Nauta and photographs. Alina Haba, that's the context. You can't explain it. There's no way to explain it. There's no way to explain it. And so he's involved with that. He took 80 boxes out through Walt Nauta. He looked at them. He returned some self-selected set of 50 for the staging of the room for Evan Corcoran arriving on June 2nd. That was all Donald Trump. That's not by accident. That's not he was misled by those around him or his lawyers. or It's Donald Trump up to his elbows, up to his neck in looking at boxes and documents and asking for magic markers and we need new tops for the paper boxes. Right? And, and then your comment, Alina, talking to you, on, on television, on media, that, oh, those boxes were all messy. My client's not messy. Okay. There's text messages that are, that are reported and reproduced in the indictment in which his own, Donald Trump's own employees jokingly referred to those boxes that he took out of the White House as the beautiful mind paper boxes. The beautiful mind paper boxes. Go watch the movie, Alina. It refers to John Nash, an economist who slowly lost his mind and went to go live in a shed where he wrote formulas on windows and then had all these boxes of, of crazy papers filled to the brim like a hoarder in his house. So basically, Donald Trump's employees are calling him a hoarder and called them the beautiful mind paper boxes that Donald Trump really, really wanted. So these are not Aliyah, mementos of his presidency. They are the people's papers. They are national security information. They are documents that go to the national defense of this country and have put American and American security at risk. They're not mementos, right? They're not like, you know, I got a certificate from when, you know, China visited me or I got a ceremonial pair of chopsticks. No, okay? These are the people's documents national security documents, and ones that your client knew based on his own statements that have been recorded, that they were top secret, and he, and he had no ability to declassify them. So, <clears throat> to hear Alina Haba tell it, once you hear the context of this just being mementos, and this couldn't possibly be how Donald Trump um, organized his, his papers, by the way, newsflash, Alina, these are not photographs taken on the search warrant day that are included in the indictment. These are photos that people obtained while in real time and provided to the Department of Justice of what the rooms look like, the pool room, the ballroom, the office, the bathroom, pine hallway, and the like. And that's why your client is going to jail for a long, long time, no matter what you tell people and what BS that you comes out of your mouth on all of these right-wing news channels. Why don't you go on another channel? Why don't you go on our channel, Midas Touchdown? <laughs> Let us talk to you for about yeah. half an hour and see how that turns out. <laughs> I, I think people would pay to see that. <laughs> and then when she finally concludes her BS appearance as a loser lawyer that she is and says, I don't think he'll take a plea uh, because that'd be admitting guilt.
chance that he would take a plea deal, especially if there is, you know, he's he's got the state indictment in New York. Um, he is facing another potential federal indictment on January 6 charges. You've got the Georgia special grand jury. Those indictments, if there are any, could come in, in August. Is there any thought of the president's mind? You plea some of this away. You got to focus on the campaign, which is in itself an exhausting, very consuming process. No. I could never imagine. I know I would never advise that, especially when he's not done anything wrong. You take a plea deal to make something go away, that's an admission of guilt. He would never admit guilt um, because there was nothing wrong with declassifying documents, taking documents with you, negotiating with NARA. The only thing that was wrong was the raid on his home and the complete dual-tier system of justice. Well, the only thing I can say is Donald Trump has other competent lawyers now around him. I mean, he's lost uh, three in the last week that were involved with Mar-a-Lago, but at least Todd Blanche is an adult. And hopefully he's listening to Todd Blanche and not to people like Joe Tacopina and Alina Haba uh, in terms of what he should do next, given the mountain of evidence, overwhelming evidence, beyond a reasonable doubt evidence that is obviously in the hands of the federal government, who is willing to go to trial in a very short amount of time, maybe three or four months, maybe by December of 2023. To, and that's it. That's how ready Jack Smith is to go to trial, Alina Haba, just to give you context. So I'm going to follow this just like I follow everything else, only on the Midas Touch Network on hot takes, just like this one. Every time Alina Haba pops out of some hole and some BS comes out of her mouth, we're going to call her out. I'm going to do it right here on a hot take. Then we're going to curate the, the week's worth of things at the intersection of law and politics and bring them to you on Legal AF only on the Midas Touch Network, Wednesdays and Saturdays. And if you like what I'm doing on a hot take like this, give me a thumbs up. It keeps the content and the quality and the, and the quantity of it coming to you on YouTube and then through our podcast platform. And then you can follow me, Michael Popak, on all things social media at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF Reporting. Hey Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. <laughs> Pop his head out. He wrote the book on how to stop them. 27 minutes ago, secret weapon to stop GOP threats to democracy revealed in stunning detail. Welcome to Hongamosity with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, your host. If you're in the wrong place, stay. Have a good time. Grab a beer. It's all good. It's Friday night. We've got another great show and a guest I'm excited to share with you. But clearly, the news out there is crazy right now. And, and look, I don't know if you saw the show a couple weeks ago. We were joking with Christopher Titus, the comedian, that trying to write a script, shoot a show, and get it up before the news overwhelms you is virtually impossible not shooting live. And I think... I've actually had live events go awry when the news come out. I was on a Zoom when Trump got indicted, for God's sake. Having said that, you know, a lot of people are saying that, I mean, obviously the biggest news is about the indictment and, of course, the arraignment this week. Uh, there's a lot going on there. But a lot of folks, a lot of professionals, with air quotes I'm doing, uh, if those listening at home, are saying this indictment actually strengthens his support in the Republican Party and the general election. Now, we can agree to disagree in that assessment. We're starting to get some surveys and polls that give windows in these things. This weekend saw the first trickling of clues, and as always, what you see depends on where you sit, right? So CBS News, you go poll taken just after the indictment. So that while the overwhelming majority of Americans, the national security risk of information that's available in that indictment and the documents that Trump was 
leaving unsecured and stashing, likely Republican voters see politics. 76% of likely GOP voters said the indictment is politically motivated, and just 12% think the documents he kept in his ugly-ass club bathroom were a national security risk. I mean... But this is where it gets interesting for me, and this is a great poll, and I'll, I'll link uh, I'll link to this article on our Substack. But when asked if it was a national security risk of Trump keeping nuclear and military documents, thirty eight percent of likely Republican voters said yes, where a whopping eighty percent of the rest of the country, like us normies, said it absolutely was right, which is a hell of a split. Okay, so only thirty eight percent is a number for Republicans too. Now, Trump is currently polling at 61% among likely Republican primary voters, with DeSantis trailing at an anorexic 23%. There remains a contention. There's others. Well, there, there's like six different questions in this poll, and I'll send you the article, but uh, it's really very interesting. But this is very little change, okay? Since the opening days of the campaign, uh, I, I think we did a bit on my touch about how DeSantis's number actually took a, a fall. I mean, it's pretty amazing to launch a presidential campaign and do so badly your numbers went down, but that's Ron DeSantis. The better you get to know him, the less you like him. So... And having said all that, Maybe you know, it does not necessarily make him a stronger candidate, but it hasn't hurt him that much in his face. Uh, but once again, Republican. is his face big enough? And uh, I'm Running not convinced they are, right? I mean, look, as we've said before here, I mean, um, uh, we peeled Stephen off the, the coalition that opposed Donald Trump in 2020, peeled off 4 to 6% of, of, of Republican voters that voted for him the first time, the normie Republicans. I just don't see them coming back to a guy with 70-plus federal charges against him, or criminal charges. Anyway... Fascinating data, as always, to start the show off. But, man, have I got a great guest talking about bigger things. Again, this show is called On Democracy. And uh, this guest is one I've had on, for, want to have on for a while because On Democracy is his damn thing. So without that, we've talked a lot. Let's get out the show. Matt, throw the music. I wonder if there's actually a guy, if he actually has help. All right, good music, good rock. I love the energy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is On to Mox with me, F.P. Wellman. I was looking at old clips, and you know what? It appears I start every show off saying how excited I am for this week's show. And I am. Matt, don't be nodding back there. I see you. Matt's nodding. <laughs> I do. I say I'm excited every week. Don't criticize. But I do, because I have great guests every week. I do this show to talk to cool people. I got cool people. And by the well, way, Matt, I don't know if you me. know this. Today, this week, is our second month on the Myers Touch Network marks two months. This is our, our eighth show. I don't keep track anymore, but we've been on the Myers Touch Network eight, uh, for two months now. Well over seven million views of all of our. My God, it's, I love this community. I love being a part of the Myers Touch Network. My friends, the brothers. Anyway, it's it is exciting. So with that, I got a great guest. So David Pepper's a lawyer, accomplished author, political activist, former elected official. He teaches election law and voting rights. Serves as chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party between 2015 and 2021. I love this bit, though, David. During law school, he was named most likely to be president of the Cincinnati Board of Tourism. <laughs> and where, by the way, he actually ended up serving their city council. Obviously, they got you right on that one. But really, we're here today because his acclaimed books, Laboratories of Autocracy, and his new one, which we'll throw on the screen, Saving Democracy, a User's Manual, detail the risk of anti-democratic statehouses posed to our democracy. Now, you probably see his popular whiteboard talks on uh, on social media, on, on Twitter, it's and he explains too. the machinations of those who oppose democracy and how we can push back. And if you haven't, you just really need to, and we'll put out his Twitter handle at the end here. I'd be honored to work with him on a really cool project I'm sure we'll hear about later in the show. With that, David, man, brother, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here, man. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Congrats on your... Uh your anniversary here, a couple months in at least. Yeah. It's going great. No, no surprise, but uh, I love the audience too, and the 
I'm so glad you're part of it. Me too. I tell you, we, I just love, I, I worked with the brothers during the campaign, and uh, we did their podcast, they did mine, we hung out a lot, and, and I just, I love the community they've built. So it's just, it's just such a privilege to be part of the Monarch Touch yeah. Network. You'll, you'll see, I, I joke on the show a lot that I'm sure that, you know, you can actually read the comments on this show. It's, <laughs> you know, so make sure you do, and folks, remember to comment and say hi. We, I, I am reading them. I'm, I'm you know, I'm crushing self-esteem issues. I read your comments. <laughs> you know? Hey, having said that, now, I just, just as we were getting ready to tape, you did another, I, I caught one more of your new whiteboard videos, and you talk about... Actually, it goes right to what I talked at the top of the show, David. It talks yeah. about the prosecution of Trump and the insane GOP primary. It's going to take a lot of our attention, right? It's going to take a lot of our right. time. But that's not the fight, is it? I mean, you make a pretty good point. What's your take on that? My take is that these things are really important. Yeah. We need Trump to be held accountable for breaking the law. Yeah. Uh, you know, the primary is going to be what it is in the GOP side. But the, the trap of this very high-voltage coverage of all that is that we all sit around and watch it, and we think that's where democracy is being determined. And if you go back to my original book, Laboratories of Democracy, the new one, the truth is the frontline attack on democracy is not the GOP primary, and it's not the prosecution of Trump. Right. It's that gerrymandered state house all over this country that is attacking voting rights, gerrymandering, passing extremist bills, and that's the bad news. Right. The good news is because it's in those state houses and not in some swing state somewhere or not in D.C. and it's not only Jack Smith's DOJ, where you can't do anything anyway, where it's being attacked, there are also numerous opportunities for every single listener, every single viewer to make a difference fighting back. So rather than just watching the things that we have little we can do about that have less in the end role in shaping democracy – Look at where democracy is truly undermined and know that there's actually work you can be doing right now all the way through the next year to fight back. If we do that work well, not only could maybe Trump be in the end charged and sentenced, and not only do we have some primary happen, but we also save democracy in the process. If we sit back and watch these other things and don't engage where the front line of democracy is, we lose. To put it differently, do you think Steve Bannon is stopping his work to watch the Trump trial. No. You think he's stopping ele recruiting election deniers to be election observers while the GOP primary plays out? Of course not. Just like the Ohio Republicans aren't stopping their attack on the Ohio Constitution. If they're not stopping because that's their front line, we can't stop either. And that's, so that whiteboard walks through that reality. And then this book we're going to talk about tells you all the things you could actually be doing right now, all the time, to lift democracy wherever you happen to live in America or overseas, for that matter. I love it. And that's, that's something we talk about a lot the show. And and, it to, and our, our audience talks a lot about it. What can I do? You know, put me in coach. You know, where can I do that? And what, and what you just described is all local things. It's, it's not happening in Washington. It's not happening. It's happening in Ohio. I mean, in Ohio, like you said, it's, it's an, what's an election in August, right? That they're trying to trying yeah. to peel back the the, the, the the number of people it takes to pass a constitutional amendment. To, you know, it, it's remarkable the work they're trying to do to try and sneak them in. Just like we just saw in Kansas, what was a year ago, where they tried to sneak through the abortion amendment by putting it on the ballot during the primary. 
right. during the summer. You know, that's what these yeah, clever things crazy. they do. So we do have to be on guard all the time. And that yeah. does take us to the book. You wrote, you know, the new book, Saving Democracy, Users Manual. And that, what, what drove you to that? And tell us, tell us, more, tell us more about what we can find in your book. Sure. So the, the, what drove me to it was I wrote a first book, and, and I was really excited that one of the first interviews I did was with the Mice Brothers, uh, uh, the whole network, and it really it really was a shot in the arm. Yeah. I, they gave me, you guys gave me a great introduction. But that book was basically saying, don't just watch, like we just said, don't just watch Marjorie Taylor Greene or George Santos or Trump. There are hundreds of people just like them that we never heard of in your state house or another state house. Normally, they don't even face opposition come re-election time, and they're the ones destroying democracy far more than whatever Marjorie Taylor Greene says tomorrow on Twitter or whatever. Right. And that that's their front line, and that's where they've been on offense, where we haven't even played defense for too long. Right. We literally are letting it happen while we focus on a few swing states in a federal election year. And so the point of that book was to say they are operating the laboratories of autocracy. That's where the attack is. Let's engage there. Now, people like the book. I was excited to, to get good feedback. But like you, I read all the comments, okay? <laughs> and I curse. started to get emails from people saying, oh, my God. Because the first book goes through in great, painful detail how bad it is on the ground in the state like Ohio, how painful the corruption looks, how the results are so bad in these gerrymandered or hijacked states. Yeah. People would say to me, David, I love the book, but it was so painful to read. I had to keep skipping to the end <laughs> to understand what I could do about it because I'm so frustrated yeah. about what you're describing. So basically, that compelled me to write a book that skips to the end. <laughs> so this book basically say, okay, if you want to read all the dark reality of what's happening in these gerrymandered, uh, unaccountable extremist state houses where their front line, the Koch brothers' front line, attack democracy exists. There's a great book. It's called Laboratories of Autocracy. <laughs> but once you understand that reality, and we better understand it because it's why we're losing. Once you understand that reality, then here's every specific thing you can do to fight back. And what, what, what I've observed since I wrote the second book is that narrative that we have told ourselves that everything's about a, a certain number of swing federal elections, mo mainly senator. It's disempowering to the average person because they don't live in one of those places. They are in a blue state where everything's, you know, they're going to win or they're in a red state where they're going to lose. And so they think, well, I'm Rick's, I hope John Fetterman wins or I hope Warnock wins, but I'm stuck. I can't do anything about it. So it's this very it's not only a false narrative because democracy is under attack everywhere. It's a disempowering narrative because it makes people think there's nothing they can do. Once you realize that the battle for democracy is in Tennessee and those uncontested races, it's at your school board where they want to ban books. It's, you know, it's in the Ohio where they want to disenfranchise voters. Yep. The good news from that bad news is there's so much you can do right. wherever you are. Right. And I walk through the book, you know, case studies, organizations, individuals just like you who decided to step up and run in a race that had never been contested in years, for example. And I start to show the difference that people doing these things can make. And it's not all that different from what anyone listening to, uh, to this could be doing as well. And my guess is a lot of them already are. But whether it's taking on book banning and censorship or making sure we're reengaging voters that have been disenfranchised wherever we live or making sure that if you're in a red state that's had dozens of uncontested races for too long, which fuels extremism, we all decide no more. We're not going to do that anymore. Or it's start investing your money 
that you spend into nonprofits and businesses that are lifting democracy. No more spending money with people that are sinking democracy. Figure out who they are, spend accordingly. So it goes through all these, it's, it's trying to be a user's manual, hopefully kind of like your show, a little spicy to read so you'll get through it. But in the end, this is saying to anyone, if you care about this stuff, don't just watch and listen in frustration. Also, use your energy to lift democracy. And there's so much we could all do, frankly, far more than any of us are doing now. And it's not that hard either. A lot of it is just incorporating yeah. a pro-democracy mindset into things we already do every day, but just add democracy to what those things are. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And and, and that's exactly it because I get the same questions, right, all the time. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I give examples. We were here in Missouri where we had recent school board races. Uh, the the, the Moss for Liberty folks were pushing pretty hard. They had their slate of candidates. And we came up with, the, with our, their opponents. I was really proud of them. And local, the local groups came together and created their own slate of candidates, you know, because these were all right. open seats. You, you know, 12 people run top three win. And they actually ran a, a slate of, of actual real parents. First of all, I love that part. And, right. and, and the people who aren't book banners and aren't going to get involved in curriculum. And I was real proud to see here in West St. Louis County that that, that slate of three won and defeated the Moss Liberty candidates and everybody else. So yeah. there really is, there is hope. It's for happening science. all over. Right. The, the book banning is really unpopular. Right. And if you run hard against it or, or at the, at the decision point of that school board, if you're the ones who show up to that meeting and say 70% of us in this community do not want the angry parent down the street telling our kids what they cannot read, that's not for them to decide. Normally, the crowd showing up for sort of a freedom to learn type of frame are winning the arguments, whether it be school board races or school board meetings. Yeah. Which yeah. is a great example of how you can the activity of doing it is important either way, but you can very often win that battle. Yeah. Just by being present. Um, yeah. I mean, I stumbled on this years ago when I first got involved in local politics back in, gosh, Peachtree city, George, which I shouldn't say that way. Cause it's a very snooty town. And in Peachtree city, I started going to city council meetings and I learned, I was like, Holy cow, there's a lot going on. I had to run for city council, the mayor, uh, until they threw a war. <laughs> and you know, that's the same thing. You get involved and it's very, it's oh, okay. Now I see the system, how it works, how much it has an impact on your life. There, there just people, I just can't, imagine how many people don't realize how impactful your school boards and your city councils really are on your day-to-day -day life much yeah. more so than congress that's the funny part as much energy we expand on congress yeah it's your life is controlled locally by those guys right the taxes you pay more often yeah. than not has nothing to do with any of those people it has to do with your local school boards and uh, the same things with state house so yeah. those are districts they rarely hear from people yeah so when you do show up you actually get noticed Right. Unlike Congress, where you're just a number on a spreadsheet, yeah. if you make that call, there are two staff members in that state house office, and they're they're picking up the phone and they're going to listen to what you say. So think of that as local as well. Most of these districts, like in Missouri, are quite small. Oh yeah, Missouri um, has one of the largest legislatures in the country. Yeah, right? you, you guys yeah. are huge. I think it's like but that also means your voice matters there. Right. And right. and what do what do the Koch brothers? Why have they taken advantage of state houses for years? Because they've sensed that no one's paying attention there yeah. and no one really makes no one stands up to nonsense there. So they become the perfect places to run through extremist stuff. Well, if we all start paying attention and making noise in these places, all of a sudden it's a lot much less easy place for legislators to pass crazy stuff. So all that activity, whether you're running, encouraging others to run or simply advocating, yeah. all that makes a difference 
to what is a model of governing right now that they are dominating because they're in all these places that we haven't been for too long. Well, presence matters. We learned that in combat, right? I mean, I learned that as a yeah. soldier. That, that's why we did presence patrols. That's why we, we make sure we went out. We got our soldiers out of our mm-hmm. vehicles and walked on the street. Being present matters, right? And being present at a school board meeting, being present at your state legislature, testifying, calling, writing, it does matter. Like you said, I think I think a Missouri State del- uh, District is 30,000 people. It's, it's barely yeah. a town, right? So you can really make yeah. a huge impact and have your voice heard. It's really, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the longtime listeners and the viewers of the show know I'm obsessed with uncontested and undercontested races. You know, last cycle, nationally, there were 23 unopposed Republican congressional candidates, shocking 126 Democratic opponents never raised enough money to even put up a competitive fight. It's, it's scientific research says about $200,000 run a congressional race. Um, 149 races basically were uncontested. Now, you've been in this fight at the state level for years. I know you're with Blue Ohio and all. You know, talk to me by why can you expand on why contesting these races matters? Like why, why does it matter that they're uncontested and what's the impact of that? So uh, it's, it's truly a crisis that that gerrymandering is terrible. So I want to, I want to make that clear to start. Uh, Of course, that's one reason people aren't running. They think, well, it's so gerrymandered. Why bother? Not running is far worse than simply gerrymandering. Uh, think about it for a second. One, you never know where you're going to win unless you're on the ballot. Right. And so look at Kansas in last August. Right. These state houses have gotten so extreme. They actually are defending things that are very unpopular in their own states. Yeah. Sometimes they're also enmeshed in corruption yeah. um, and other problems. Sometimes their outcomes are terrible, like four days of school a week, like, yeah. which is happening on states. Yep. Well, if you don't run, you, you deprive yourself of the opportunity to win because and their records are reaching a point where you could actually beat some of these people. But let's remove the chance that's of winning for a second, because obviously that's, that's, my, that's the ultimate that's goal in, in, in these races. Yeah. Running and that's losing is so much more important than not running at all. Because think about these places, and, and I'll go through the numbers. You know, yeah. 50% of those Tennessee Republicans who kicked out those two state reps, the two Justins, did not have an opponent last November. 50%. The author of the of the abortion bans in Mississippi that led to Dobbs, Texas that led to that crazy law where you could start suing people, Ohio that, that led to that Indiana, that, that 10-year-old rape victim having to go to Indiana. Those three, none of them faced an opponent in their next election. They turned the country upside down with their toxic laws, but in their own district, they don't even get challenged. Um, You start to add all that up, and that is why the extremism is so bad. And you know this from your own politics. If you you don't face an election in the general at all, in Texas, they literally call it canceled. If your election is canceled, then every incentive in your path in politics is to be an extremist because yeah. you only worry about a primary. You never worry about accountability, a general election, which means you never worry about a threat from the middle. You only worry about threat from the far right. And so basically by not running, we are incentivizing extremism and we're taking away any incentive these people feel to actually be more reasonable. For example, those 50 percent of Republicans in Tennessee to, to vote to keep the two Justins would have been a risk for them. Because that's how they worry about a primary, right? Right. Oh, you voted with Democrats to keep them. We don't like you. You're a rhino. You're gone. So they're rewarded in their political system by being extremists and voting like that. And if we start running against people, again, even in tough races, we start to bend the curve the other way that there's accountability they face more from the middle than just from one side. The other thing is it's not only accountability. 
It's also basic transparency. The crisis of, of, of our state houses, the reason the Koch brothers and Alec, that one national organization, love state houses is no one knows what, what these places do. Right. They can't even name their state rep. Well, what's the one moment in time where people focus on a body of government? An election. Right. If you're not even knocking on doors or sending a flyer or going to the forum or the debate to discuss that crazy incumbent's views and agenda and and legislative record, no one's ever going to hear about it. And so that's why we have an entire world. And here's how bad the numbers are. More than half of the Oklahoma Republican reps, no opponent last election in many states like Texas and Georgia, I think it's 30 to 40 percent. Tennessee over 50. Um, you add it up. We're talking about tens and tens of Democrats millions of voters last November who showed up race. to vote at the level of politics that determines our democracy. State houses more than Congress. Yeah. No choice whatsoever. That also means tens of millions of people who didn't even have a conversation in their community about what a state house even does. Right. And so when you project that out over a long game as opposed to just a cycle-by-cycle game, you realize why the extremism is getting so much worse. We've abandoned millions of uh, Americans all over this country to 